we know from human history that developments in, in technologies over the centuries, ranging from the Industrial Revolution through to the invention of the automobile, then airplanes and so forth, the landscape of progress is littered with human casualties. People die because of these things being tested. That's a pretty sobering statement from Neville Hobson to kick off season three of the Digital Download podcast. Over the next three months, we're going to look at topics including digital adoption and future-proofing your career, how digital is changing the way we work, diversity, search engine optimization, influencer marketing, capitalising on the growth of Instagram, and a whole lot more. But we're kicking off today with a look at some of the emerging technologies we all need to be aware of. It makes sense for us to embrace some of this stuff, even though some of it is a bit eye-boggling, I must admit. It's not so much the detail of the technology. Uh, It's what it lets people do or not, as the case might be. Our job as communicators is to take all this dense stuff and translate it into terms that everyone else can easily understand. And that is a prime role we have. And indeed, that makes us look valuable to our colleagues and to our employers and our clients. Neville Hobson is the godfather of communications podcasting. He's been producing shows for 13 years and is one of the most knowledgeable and respected people I know on the intersection of communications and technology. Today's show is a fascinating and eye-opening look at what's just around the corner for communications professionals. This is Digital Download, a podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton. How are you anyway? Not bad, actually. Not bad. It's been a while since you and I spoke. I think uh, it has even longer since we saw each other. Could, I think I have a feeling it might have been at the PR events that my news desk that's why that's probably the last time yeah. i have a feeling so yeah quite a few quite a long time ago so a lot of, uh, a lot of things have happened so... a lot of change absolutely mm. we're going to cover what is a major topic today which is about um, emerging technologies and how these are impacting the world of digital communications before we get started though just to catch up with you so i mean you've been podcasting since what 2005 or so yes a long time. <laughs> yeah, a long time. Yeah. I mean, Shell Holtz and I, my podcasting partner, uh, we I think we were the first communicators doing a podcast back in the day. So uh, we've learned a lot along the way. We stopped the weekly show that we were doing together in 2015. And we resurrected it again as a monthly uh, amongst the regular shows that Shell does. So it's still going. But for immediate release, he and I do as a Hobson Holtz report, which is actually how we started back in 2005. So uh, yeah, it, it's great. We, we, we just love doing it. So that's why we do it. Absolutely. And and like you say, you're among the first communicators to do it. What, what have you seen that's kind of changed between 2005 and now when, you know, podcasting has got this new emphasis behind it and a lot of people like me, for example, are jumping on the bandwagon? <laughs> Yeah, lots of change, Paul. I mean, it's like like everything in our in our professional and personal lives, for that matter. With the advent of technology, in particular, uh, not the tech so much, although a big part of it. It's the discovery of it by many people. Uh, yeah. One of the points of doing podcasting back then was to bring it to the attention of more people. Uh, the same with social media, generally speaking, that uh, the goals in those days was to get more people involved in it. Well, we've got that. Uh, and it's uh, it's the good of the bad and the ugly, like all things to do with humans uh, talking to each other and doing things together, collaborating and so forth. So we've seen uh, amazing things that a decade ago, I think much of it, we couldn't have imagined. It was still in the realms of science fiction when you 
look at things like artificial intelligence, autonomous cars, 3D yeah. printing, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and how we're using tech um, has shifted. You know, you remember 10 years ago, uh, actually a bit, bit more than that, perhaps maybe 12 or 13, like, you know, dial up uh, uh, modems and ADSL line or yeah. ISDN, I should say, was the norm. You dialed yeah. up. Now we've got ubiquitous broadband everywhere, including Wi-Fi. So it's second nature, a bit like electricity and water. It's just mm -hmm. there. So things have changed, enabling people to do a lot more things. As more and more people get online, uh, it, it gives them the opportunity to do truly amazing things. Not everyone's online. Indeed, half the planet, the population, is still not connected to the internet. Yeah. So, so from your perspective then, so your background, I know you as someone who was a, effectively a consultant when I first got to know you many years yes. ago. And you worked with IBM for a while. And you're now working with the Internet Society. That's right? That's correct, yes. The Internet Society is a global non-profit organization that's to do with many things, including the technical infrastructure, the standards that makes the Internet work. Okay. Uh, but there's more to it than that. It's it's a lot to do with uh, building and supporting communities that make the Internet work in, in emerging countries, developing countries, places where there isn't an infrastructure. Uh, it's getting people together, providing the wherewithal, including some of the funding to build the internet locally in those communities. Okay. Sounds really interesting. Really interesting work. Okay. So today we're going to talk about, like I say, emerging technologies. And we're going to focus on something that you raised, which is Gartner's latest version of its hype cycle for emerging technologies. Mm. Now, it's been running this for, I believe, over 10 years now. Yes. And again, uh, we chatted and you said that you followed it for, for that amount of time. Mm. What's your experience of how that has changed that that hype cycle over that time do you think it's sped up uh, yes uh, as more technologies have emerged uh, i mean much of the stuff you see in the current one which was published uh, some weeks ago now um, weren't on anyone's radar and what we mentioned earlier it wasn't even in the imagination a decade yeah. ago and bearing in mind that the the hype cycle for emerging technologies we're talking about was aimed at tech people aimed at uh, the CIOs of big organizations wasn't intended really for a broader audience. Uh, but I remember when I first came across it in 2006, um, uh, I thought communicators need to pay attention to this because this is part of the landscape. Whether you're interested in the tech or not, this will impact uh, the workplace at some yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, and so um, it, it, every year there's something new in here and getting your head around some of this stuff frankly, uh, often is, I think, uh, a stumbling block for many because it introduces all sorts of red herrings. Uh, yep. it, from our point of view as communicators, it's not so much the detail of the technology. Uh, it's what it lets people do or not, as the case might be, the impact it has on organizations and on people and how they connect with each other. So um, we're seeing uh, some constants in there. Uh, bear in mind that uh, what Gartner looks at in the in the many things they do uh, are sort of divided up into when they think the mainstream will be achieved in terms yeah. of these these technologies getting uh, attention from people. Uh, anywhere from from naught, meaning look like immediate, to 10 years and more than that. Yeah. Uh, and so it's been going for, yeah, 12 years, basically. So stuff they talked about back then that was 10 years is, is definitely, some of it is in there. That's still languishing. It's still not there. So the right. prediction game is a bit tricky, I think. But uh, we've seen uh, uh, so much shifting. Uh, and some of the phrases, uh, every time I see them, I have to look it up somewhere. If I, what, what does that mean exactly? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, it requires that kind of learning most of the time. Do you use this for yourself, for your own learning in, in you know, your jobs with IBM and the Internet Society and you as a consultant? Does Gartner's work in this area help guide you into 
what you think you should be learning about. How much real attention do you pay to to this particular one? Uh, I pay a lot of attention to to it. And I, I would add, by the way, that when they started, there were you know one or two hype cycles. Now Gartner publishes at least 20 different hype cycles yeah. that cover different areas of technology in particular. Uh, so uh, I pay attention to the emerging tech more than any other. Uh, if I was deeply immersed in some of the subject matter, uh, for instance, blockchain, there's, there's hype cycles on just that with all right. the nuances of that. I'm not. I want the broad picture and yeah. I can dive into things I'm interested in. I'm interested in all of it, generally speaking. Uh, much of it does definitely inform my own thinking on what I pay attention to. And I pay attention greatly to trends with technology. That's something I've always been interested in. Yes. Uh, I don't pay attention to many other kinds of trends, but in the context of my other interest, which is communication, uh, that's the driver for me. Uh, yeah. And so I do pay attention to a lot of it. I'm not an expert by any means in most of it, uh, yeah. but I know people who are. And I know often typically where to go to if I want to get more information about any of these. But they give me a good overview of the broad landscape of which we are uh, navigating, let's say, yeah. and the impact some of this can have on us, uh, some of it definitely will have on us, and much of it is already having an impact. Absolutely. I think that is, is such a valuable thing for people listening is to get that broad overview because it's something that I've learned to do over many years in the same as you is is mm. try and spot what is coming, what is happening. And then having done that, you go away and learn about a specific topic that seems to be gaining more traction. And that's such the way I, I approach things anyway. So this report has identified among other things, five distinct emerging technologies. And it surveys sort of 2000. So it's a huge report. And it's identified these five distinct emerging technologies, which in its phrasing, will blur the lines between human and machine. So today, we're, we're going to kind of dig into some of that, mm. as it relates particularly to the communications industry. Where's the best place to start with this? <laughs> yeah, I would say a familiar topic because it's uh, it's very close to the heart of, of PR, certainly. And that's AI, artificial intelligence. Yeah. And indeed, what you mentioned, the five areas, these are tech groupings that Gartner has grouped together a lot of yes. these. So AI is part of what they group. They, they call this group democratized AI. And it's actually not a bad label to attach to it. Uh, but AI is a huge topic in itself. And I know I started talking about AI in a, in, a, in a more meaningful sense back in 2015 or so. And I can remember thinking and, and writing my blog uh, occasionally on this, where that this is something that obviously we need to pay attention to, but more in the sense of this actually is invaluable for communicators. Not the robots are coming, none of those things with, uh, you know, uh, humanoid-looking creatures sitting next to you in the workplace. This is to do with the benefit it brings you. So uh, I latched onto something, and I can't claim to be the inventor of this phrase, but it seemed perfect to me, which is not artificial intelligence, augmented, meaning it, it's, it augments your own intelligence. It provides you with the means to do things you absolutely cannot do Without this or it would take you an inordinate length of time to do, and the accuracy level is likely to be quite low. So it enables you to, to achieve things. I'm talking about the kind of repetitive type tasks that we all have on our, on our workloads that are usually quite boring, you know, perusing lots of documents or, or trying to find uh, uh, searching on databases, stuff like that. We're not very good at that kind of thing, yet computer algorithms are excellent at that. And that's a great use example 
on what AI can do for you in doing that that kind of heavy lifting that presents you the the results of something that it analyzes in super quick time. Something that might take you a week, it will do in like an hour. Uh, that's a, taking big data sets, but even littler yeah. stuff than that. That then lets you use your skill level, which is interpreting meaning. Uh, and we're not yet at the stage where AI can do that bit. Uh, and I have this discussion all the time with a lot of people and quite passionate sometimes. I believe that moment is very soon uh -huh. where AI will be able to gain the insights from the data that it has, uh, has, has analyzed. And when you say very soon, what does very soon mean to your mind? Well, to my mind, on a simple level, it's kind of now. Okay, But the value levels, such as, for instance, going through um, uh, large data sets, uh, huge amounts of data to find comparative uh, statements, and then interpreting the meaning of those comparative statements in the context of X or Y. Uh, they can't really do that now. We do that. Yet the time will come when they can do that. And I don't say uh, here that this is therefore something we, we're all suddenly going to be out of jobs and that we've got, oh, far from it. This will augment us even more. Uh, and it will be further complementary and enable us to do things that, that actually we don't do typically because it's too much of a chore, it costs too much, or it takes up resources that we can use elsewhere uh, in better ways at the moment. Okay. So we're seeing experiments with that. Uh, and I call them experiments, even though some people say, no, this is real time, it's doing it now in the medical area, for instance, that analyzes um, what we call diagnostics done by initial diagnostics of patients, for instance, and uh, an AI algorithm, for want of a better phrase, is describing it will look at that and make recommendations based on it. that's on a simple level okay here we're talking about something that that enables something to draw a real meaning and, and indeed gartner talks a bit on that indeed one of the areas they describe it as is conversational ai and we're not there yet and indeed gartner reckons that that's at least five years away they reckon yeah. Uh, and again, don't forget, we might see a bit like autonomous driving. You'll see that happening. But this all refers to when it's in the mainstream. Yes. So uh, we'll see instances of it a lot earlier. But that is typically in a type of organization or in a particular country, but not mainstream. And that's really the key thing to understand about all these things. So this is still evolving all of this. Uh, and so we're seeing things that I mentioned about AI that are in our workplaces already. We, we can employ some of these on a simple level that enable us to uh, to do certain things. A virtual assistants is a good example. These so-called digital virtual assistants, as I might call them, that would be, you know, in the area of things, perhaps uh, Siri, Cortana, Alexa uh, are in that sort of area. That uh, They're relatively simple technologies right now. Uh, yep. They respond to commands based on pre-programmed knowledge, uh, and they're not conversational really. But that's an indicator of what's potentially possible. These things are uh, incremental in their development, and we're going to see, I, I truly believe we're going to see some really amazing things. Look at the car, look at what's happening with, with cars. And I'm not talking about autonomous driving. I'm talking about, the, let's call it the driver interface, uh, the, the tech in your car, uh, that these are getting more sophisticated on a daily basis in the ability to present you with information that does not necessarily interfere with your driving. A lot of it is actually in, in, in the background, understanding your behavior and uh, responding accordingly and learning as it does so. And that, that's an interesting thing. But the development of this as epitomized by, for instance, uh, what Stephen Waddington talked about in a recent episode, uh, AI in the PR industry, what yep. the CIPR's uh, AI 
panel is doing. These are great initiatives, and it, it helps us uh, learn uh, what's what's happening, what might happen, and what it means to us, and what we need to do about it right now. That's then permeating that knowledge out through the PR community, and that's a great thing. So uh, I, I think we need to see a lot more of that, and it, it, it makes sense for us as communicators to to embrace some of this stuff, even though some of it is a bit eye-boggling, I must admit. Yeah. So the work of that helps. And the more we find it easier to understand what to pay attention to is the key thing. So we look for guidance in that area, which is where people at like the CRPR can come into play in guiding us on what is it we should pay attention to. And AI is, is one of the topics that uh, is definitely worth paying attention to. Yeah, and, and the link-ups between the Gartner hype cycle and the AI in PR's panel's initial findings seem to match up when I look at the two. I mean, I guess it makes sense they would match up. But as an example, the, the panel looked a, a period of sort of three to five years ahead and have tried to map out how PR and comms jobs might be affected by technologies and then. And then you have things within the hype cycle, like you say, virtual assistants, which is saying is sort of two to five years out. There's things like 5G technology, for example, which is two to five years out. So there, there are technologies that Gartner has identified as coming through in that time frame, which match up with the things that Stephen Waddington said, for example. One of the other things, actually, that I noticed when I look at, I compare them is, and it's something that Stephen talked about, AI from a comm sense is misunderstood. People don't understand what that means in a practical sense. When you look at Gartner, it splits out AI. You've got artificial general intelligence you've got conversational like you mentioned you've got neural nets there's i mean there's so many areas to this which is difficult to get your head around but you know in any sense yeah it's true i think it's it's the nature of tech isn't it paul i mean you you you'll know as i do that when you talk to tech people in an organization you get stuff that is 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 dense it's hard to understand it all the yes. time so yeah. our job as communicators is to take all this dense stuff and translate it into terms that everyone else can easily understand. And that is a prime role we have. And indeed, that makes us look valuable to our colleagues and to our employers and our clients. But therefore, we need to understand this stuff. Mm. So uh, therefore, we uh, look to the leaders in this, people like Wads and that uh, CIPR panel, for instance, who are already doing that, and to others who are active in the space and talk about it a lot. Hence, you know, talking about AI, in more uh, emotional terms than the the abstract depth, if that doesn't sound like a contradiction that we hear typically, I mean the worst thing you can do is look look for the definition of AI on Wikipedia. That will <laughs> yes. make your that will make your eyes boggle totally. <laughs> but it, it certainly gives you a pointer, uh, and so you can then go elsewhere. Um, you then find conflict in definitions everywhere you look, and that's tricky. I, I tend to talk about it as I mentioned earlier, uh, in the in the context of augmented intelligence, looking at what it can do as opposed to telling you what it is and i rely on the techies to do that and i often point people say well go here and you find definition so companies like gartner has definition uh, the likes of people like ibm with ibm watson they have definitions you've got other organizations who are in this area too a lot of the tech journals who are following this have definition so you can find simplified if you want to know what does ai mean then it gets a little more confusing when you then see people like Gartner talking about these splits, these different elements of it. And I've not even mentioned things like machine learning yet, a subset of AI, if you like. Yeah, yeah. So um, do we need to know the detail of that? Well, yes, we do, actually, if we're able to, if, if we are going to help our colleagues understand what it means to them. 
uh, what yeah. it means for them as well in their, in their work and, and for their employers or their clients. The Digital Download Membership Scheme gives you on-demand advice, support and coaching when you need it. With exclusive online training, video Q&As with topic experts and a members-only network to discuss all of the latest developments, it gives you the confidence and the peace of mind you need to succeed in digital communications. But don't take my word for it. The thing I find really valuable is that we all share best practice and we tell each other about things that we've learned. We share information on absolutely everything from the latest industry trends to how to manage a new algorithm change. So some really practical information. But I also really like the slightly more formal learning element to it. So in our regular calls, we can focus on a specific subject. It's also a really unjudgy space, which I really like. So I can always ask the kind of questions that I'm pretty sure I should know the answers to, but I don't. So I'm always learning something new, which is um, really useful in an industry that changes every two minutes. I'm Kate Hartley. I run a company called Polpio, which does crisis simulations for brands and agencies. And I also run a PR agency called Carrot Communications. For full details of the membership scheme, visit paulsutton.co forward slash members. You talked about virtual assistants a little there, and you said that things like Siri and Alexa and all those things now are quite simple, effectively, Mm -hmm. because you ask them a question, you get an answer. What, in your view, is the role that those that sort of technology could take in say three years time i mean how do you see that evolving is it purely to become more conversational or is it that actually the machine learning side of that takes on like you say analyzing data now so we can ask a question of uh, google and it comes back with something it has actually analyzed rather than something that's found in a search i want it to i want this to make a genuine difference to to my life i i want it to manage my day-to-day activities uh, so to me, what I see uh, in in some of the organizations who are working in areas like this, and I, and I again refer back to IBM again, not because I worked there, but some of the things I learned there, but some things I've been paying attention to since in terms of the day-to-day things that we all do. Good example, um, your calendar, your appointment schedule, your email, your contact list, and, and all that stuff that we have on our computers, whether it's Microsoft Office or whatever app you're using. I want an AI to run that for me. Right. So for instance, that would manifest itself in ways like, for example, that the AI would would look at all my contacts and figure out which are the ones that are important to me, which are the ones I should be paying attention to, which are the ones I can safely ignore. How would it do that? A mix of things. Uh, this is where being networked is key to this because your contacts uh, are then analyzed by the AI and looking at those contacts in the context of every other contact, but also via how they present themselves online and where they do. Okay. And it scores them. Uh, so it, it will do things like, for instance, that will manifest itself in ways like when you get a request for a meeting, the AI can make a simple decision as to whether should you give this person your time or not. Or yes, that person's actually very important, significant because he or she is connected to these other six people who are also important to you and will then make that decision. And it will tell you, I've accepted a meeting for you on Thursday at 10 a.m. with so-and-so. Yeah. Uh, some people I know, because we talk about this, find this terribly creepy. Uh, I can't wait, to be frank, um, for it to do that. Uh, and also suggest to me people I ought to be contacting uh, and it will filter my email and do stuff like that. That's a very prosaic example of something so day-to-day uh, and yet we spend a lot of time on this sort of activity. Uh, most of it is is not wasted time, but it's an 
extraordinary amount of time doing simple tasks. Yeah, yeah. This kind of tool can do that. So that's one little example. The other, using people using examples of, of Alexa and so forth, is a genuine conversational AI. And again, that's in Gartner's area of where that's some years out yet. But we'll have a conversation with you. Think of some of the science fiction uh, movies and TV series you see. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Going back to, you know, the Knight Rider of the 1970s, <laughs> right up to modern times. Uh, where you are having an actual an actual conversation uh, with a machine that doesn't look like a human necessarily. It's an algorithm on your computer probably. So it's a disembodied voice. It could be a hologram. So it could be something that enables you to make a connection uh, with it in ways that are genuinely intelligent. So there we're entering into this area uh, that uh, the, the definers of these terms look at, okay, does it exhibit some kind of consciousness? Is it sentience as we define it? Does it exhibit human-like behavior without the intervention of a human? Uh, and uh, we're, it, we're moving into those areas and we're seeing experiments. None of these, though, I would argue, are genuinely intelligent like a human. So that may be many decades out before we get to that. But in the meantime, we will have... Uh, technology that is serviceable and has a utility that works for us in ways that we're perfectly happy with. And it won't be perfect either. Uh, we, we know from human history that developments in, in technologies over the centuries, ranging from the Industrial Revolution through to the invention of the automobile, then airplanes and so forth, the landscape of progress is littered with human casualties. People die because of these things being tested. And we're already seeing that now with things like autonomous driving experiments where car crashes of people have been killed. So to be honest, Paul, I don't see that being any different in terms of the progress that we're going to make with AI, for instance. Not, not to paint a gloomy picture, that to me is just reality of accepting that. It's not uh, not a, a dismissive by any means. It's a non-emotional look at this landscape and look at human history. So we will see those things on that road to progress. It's up to us as a society to decide is that price right or not. And that's something that philosophers can debate that as well as ethicists but this is the landscape we're embarking on. yeah and you said something then about the level of intelligence being one of these markers someone whose thoughts i've followed on this for i don't know five or six years now is is ray kurzweil who's director yes. of engineering at google and his whole point is that technological innovation is rapidly accelerating and continues to accelerate now he said originally his original prediction which he's got a great record of was that the technological singularity, and, and that for, for people listening means when machines effectively become smarter than humans, He predict, he's predicted that for 2045, which is not that far away, actually, when you think about it. And he says, I mean, one of his other things is that by 2029, he thinks, that is when a robot will effectively pass the Turing test, which is that, as you said, the mm. the level of intelligence a human level of intelligence i've seen arguments that some robots already have passed the turing test i've not been convinced when i've read about them but it certainly is it's not so far ahead that it's impossible that in the next 10 years there will be machines that have that as you said that human level of intelligence i don't think 
No, I, I would agree with you. I think if we look at some examples of what's happening now, for instance, recently, Sony uh, introduced a little pet dog that's a robot. Okay. Uh, it's not made to try and look like a real dog. This is very clearly a, a, an artificial uh, device of some kind. But all the reports I've seen about it, ranging from some of the tech journals who've been reviewing them to journalists writing in mainstream media publications all in the United States, have been wowed by the reality presented by the interaction with this device. Uh, and uh, that's an indicator of something. Yet it's certainly not intelligent by any definition. Will it get there? Well, it's another step on the way because this is an evolution of a device that was first developed and put out there a year or two back. And this is totally different. Right. Uh, I don't know whether you've seen a film. This is a few years ago now called uh, The Robot and Frank, um, a story of a, of a man uh, who is retired and his son bought him a robot to keep him company. And this thing uh, is definitely was science fiction at the time. But this is literally five years ago, this film, maybe a bit longer. Things have changed in that short time that this looks terribly credible. Uh -huh. That you can say, yep, I could see this probably within 10 years, exactly this sort of thing. So we've, we've got signs everywhere that uh, the blurring, if you like, of science fiction and, and science reality is definitely upon us. And I think Ray Kurzweil's prediction about that sort of time range is, is possible. Absolutely. And one of the things you were talking about with, with virtual assistants mm -hmm. has effectively or could have a significant impact on things like uh, voice search, which is now really taking off. So the, the whole area from a communications perspective of voice and enabled marketing is something that I've been paying more attention to in the last year specifically. Mm -hmm. And when I talk about it to people, people are still a bit sceptical at this stage about whether they're going to need a, a basically a voice marketing strategy. But to my mind, that is something that has got to happen in the next couple of years. If you're not paying attention to it now, you will be paying catch up. Yeah, exactly. You, you've nailed it completely. We need to be paying attention to this right now. I mean, I use I talk to my computer all the time and my phone. Yeah. Uh, it's signs of what's coming. That said, there are some very black clouds on the horizon with this. Um, but those dark clouds are also to do with video, uh, and which is that the fakery that is now uh, at the fingertips of people with bad intent to um, make something appear to be different than what it actually is. So you've got already uh, examples of uh, video where for the famous ones that I keep seeing being referenced everywhere, Barack Obama making a speech where none of what's what he's showing in the video he actually said at right. all the speech never took place yet you look at the video and you would never imagine that this wasn't uh, barack obama making that speech it's it's video clips stapled together in the sense but you absolutely cannot see any of the joins anywhere the same with audio the same with voice and so the 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 wherewithal is there for uh, fakery uh, and uh, other bad behaviors to exhibit themselves and manifest themselves into something that you are hoodwinked by it. And that, to me, is something that uh, the, the, the tech people behind all of this have got to find a solution for. Otherwise, this will not be trusted and it will not progress beyond it where it currently is. I believe there will be solutions, but I also believe that there's going to be some uh, big trip ups along the route, like with most things, I think. Yeah. I think we'll see being fooled by this. I think we'll see scams and all sorts of things happening. Hopefully nothing worse than that. But that's part of the landscape and it's, it's it needs to be addressed. And how much of a threat do you think that whole fake news, fake video, fake stories, fake everything is as a threat to communications? 
I think it's huge, Paul. Uh, you know, I won't go as far as some people say it's a threat to democracy. Uh, <laughs> potentially, I suppose it is if you talk about rigging elections and, and therefore stealing uh, an election, literally. But yes, the fakery uh, is genuinely disturbing. Um, I've been involved in discussions with others who talk about this is part of the human condition. This is behavior is probably true. Doesn't mean to say that, okay, fine, then we just accept it. We need to find a way to combat the bad actors at play here. Uh, and ensure, on the one hand, that all we do uh, is not like that. We don't manipulate. Uh, we don't do things that throw suspicion on our credibility and our ethics. We behave in ways that are without question according to the standards that we've all set ourselves as standards of behavior. And that extends itself into how we use tools like this to, to convey messaging, to educate people, to persuade others to a point of view. So... Um, that's our job to do it like that. And uh, what other people do is, is going to happen. Uh, we just need to be sure that we don't behave that way. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. One of the things that stood out for me, which I find a fascinating idea, is the brain computer interface, which it says is five to 10 years away. So we're not talking about next week, we're going to be able to do this. But I long for the day when I have an interface with my computer, just with my yeah. thoughts. Well, <laughs> it's, it's part of what... Gartner labels in this group as do-it-yourself biohacking, and I, I love I love that actually because yeah. that that then puts it contextually easier to understand what it might mean. It is still to many, I think, uh, in the realms of um, science fiction, but according to Gartner, it's five to ten years away before it gets to the mainstream. So uh, I'm willing to accept the premise of that, although I've not seen and I've not paid close attention, but I have looked. Uh, I've not seen many people talking about this in any any way that makes me interested in finding out more. So does that mean it's not happening? No, of course not. There's stuff going on behind the scenes. There's people paying a lot of attention to some of these things and quietly experimenting. So we may suddenly see an emergence of talk about this. Um, but I think, you know, Gartner have done a pretty good job uh, with with this kind of thing. I mean, they talk about this being the beginning, in which case that's probably why it's worth giving it a little bit of attention. If it's five to 10 years out, they're saying that um, this is the beginning of what they call the transhuman age, where hacking biology and extending humans will increase in popularity and availability. So they talk about, and stuff we're seeing, about, uh, hearing about already, neural implants, uh, where the talk now is on uh, on ethics and the humanity of doing things like this. So they're saying that uh, we're just seeing the start point of this. Expect to see more about this, in which case I, I, I'm I'm willing to look at it from that point of view. I don't know enough about that yet. Uh, if it means what we think it means, uh, then yes, like you, I can't wait for something like this where uh, I can be kind of plugged in uh, to something in some way. Uh, others, equally I know, are horrified by the notion of this. So uh, you've got that side of it to consider. Hence, if this is a topic and others like this that, that are likely to gain traction somehow and have impacts on what we do, we need to understand it in order to discuss it with our colleagues who are horrified by it, to explain to them why it's not not nothing to be horrified with, or not as the case might be, or, or is as the case might be. So part of our job is to understand it. So we need to pay attention to this. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, there, there are red herrings in this anyway, which will fall away and everything. So who knows, it could be one of them, but it's just the idea of it is fantastic. Okay, well, listen, we're kind of out of time, but that's been really fascinating. So there's loads of great ideas to explore there. To kind of wrap up, how do you recommend that people 
kind of go about their day jobs. They're doing what they're doing in the world of communications and digital. And then there's all of this stuff happening in our periphery vision that we know, I think, we should be keeping an eye on, but isn't impacting us right now. How do you think people should really keep up to date with it? Are there specific things they should be reading or listening to? Or, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, putting it in the simple thing without giving people, you know, here's a 10 point list of stuff you need to do. Yeah. The first thing I would say is be curious. And that's often easier said than done. Uh, I tend to be exceptionally curious. Some people call me nosy, uh, where I'm <laughs> always wondering what's that and how does that work and who's doing what, constant. So uh, I think I'm lucky, frankly, because that's why I find out a lot of things. Pay attention to the likes of Gartner. They're not the only game in town, but they have longevity. They are relatively open uh, in sharing much of their proprietary research. So hence, you'll see summaries of this stuff. Pay attention to bodies like the CIPR, if you're in the PR business, certainly, uh, and the AI panel there. Look at their findings. If you Google, you will find lots of people talking about this. Uh, try and find folks here in the UK as opposed to only in America, because perspectives are often quite different. Yeah. I noticed The Guardian has had some great reporting on AI recently, uh, The Telegraph as well, the BBC. Uh, is running a, an AI series or have run, perhaps I missed it, maybe it'll catch it up on iPlayer this week, literally, okay. uh, on AI. So things like that, you, you gain some, some knowledge. Uh, then really look on, on social channels through, peop through people you know uh, and see who's talking about this. Uh, Googling will, will find that, but also links through people like the CIPR and the AI panel will also help you find people like that. that. That's the best advice I could give, Paul. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Where can people find you online if they'd like to talk to you further? Twitter, Jangles, is where I am most of the time. Uh, my website, neverhops.com, the two podcasts that I do, smalldataforum.com and uh, firpodcast.com. Thank you again for your time. My pleasure, Paul. Thanks. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you've got any ideas for future topics you'd like to see covered or people you'd like to hear from, contact me on Twitter where I'm at the Paul Sutton. Thank you for listening.